If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's stand as we look at this passage. And um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm still in the child dedication passage, right? Uh, we're going to flip over. Uh, that's a great text, by the way. You need to read it. Uh, flip over to 1 Kings chapter 17. Jeff's already been thinking that's not what I had prepared on the uh, uh, display this morning. But anyway, 1 Kings 17. 1 Kings 17, give you a moment to find it. It comes right before 2 Kings. Good. All right. 2 Kings chapter 17, and uh, go down to verse 8 with me. The word, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, speaking of Elijah. It says, Get up, go to Zarephath, that belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Look, I've commanded a woman who is a widow to provide for you there. So Elijah got up and went down to Zarephath, and when he arrived at the city gate, There was a widow woman gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup and let me drink. As she went to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. Now, I could imagine she just kind of looked back and said, Is there anything else Um, I can get you? But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked, only a handful of flour in the jar and a bit of oil in the jug. Just now I am gathering a couple of sticks in order to prepare it for myself and my son so we can eat it and die. She was saying, that's all we have left. Then Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said. Only make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. Afterwards, you may make some for yourself and for your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says, the flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. Let's pray together. Father, we we thank you for the example of the testimony of this widow woman here in Scripture and how as a mom who certainly cared for her son but also was at the Uh, the bottom of her barrel, Lord, I I pray that uh, we'll learn from her example what it means to depend completely on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Actually, as I kind of outlined this series called Equipped, it wasn't Deuteronomy 6 or 1 Kings 17. It was Proverbs 31, Pastor Ben read from that a little bit earlier. It was Proverbs 31 that I'd originally planned to preach from this morning. I thought, well, Proverbs 31 woman, the, uh, the virtuous woman, that's a great passage for Mother's Day, and it's a passage that I have not preached in, in a few years. And when it, we talk about being equipped to be a mom, it's a great text to go to. And, and I was perhaps influenced uh, by a book title to, to maybe come back to Proverbs 31 at another time. The title of the book by Nancy Kennedy was Help, I'm Being Intimidated by the Proverbs 31 Woman. And sometimes on Mother's Day, we can take passages like that or we can describe uh, Timothy and his mother and his grandmother and the influence they had on his life. And mothers can hear all of these attributes of a godly woman, and on Sunday morning in worship, they're saying, uh, yes, I'm really all that, but deep down in their heart and when they leave, they're like, if people 
only know how far I feel from that, how depleted I feel, how empty, how exhausted of resources I feel. They would certainly not celebrate me for being a Proverbs 31 woman. And so I felt led this morning to look at a passage where both a prophet of God, a man of God, uh, felt very much in need of the grace of God and, and an understanding that God was his source and supply, but also how God used a widow who was in the same desperate place, and in the same place where she didn't know what she was going to do next, and he revealed how he is her everything. He is her source in this passage. First King, First King 17 introduces both that prophet and the mother who are both discovering their great need, and we all have it, their great need for grace and the providence of God this morning. And so moms, I pray that you will leave here, not intimidated necessarily by the Proverbs 31 woman, but I I pray that you will leave here encouraged that God has an endless supply of grace and that he can provide for your every need, whatever you're going through in life. And this woman who has what it takes that may not have known that she had what it takes makes some discoveries in this passage. And and I think we all need, every man, woman, boy, and girl need to make these same discoveries. The first discovery that she makes, I want you to see, is she discovers that God purges his people. In this text, within the context that we're reading it, specifically God purges his people from idolatry. And idolatry kind of goes back to every sin that we struggle with. If you understand that this is the time that the the kingdom of Israel is known as uh, really the northern kingdom, the kingdom was divided. Remember, you had the first three kings that had a united kingdom, but then with Jeroboam and Rehoboam, you have a divided kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And at this time, you also have a wicked king by the name of Ahab. If you look back at chapter 16 with me, and go to verse 30, it says, Ahab, now we already knew that his father and his grandfather were, were bad dudes, the son of Omri, he, Ahab did what was evil in the Lord's sight more than all who were before him. Then as if following the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, were a trivial matter, he married Jezebel. So not only was Ahab a bad dude, he married a bad dudette. I mean, Ahab and Jezebel were about as ungodly as you could find. And so not only is he married to her, but they proceeded to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole. Now, Asherah was kind of the goddess of fertility at this time. Uh, a lot of Baal worship was also related to uh, Baal being a god of fer- fertility, and, and it really had to do with provision, what this false god and goddess would provide for you if you worship them. And so it says, uh, he built this Asherah pole, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And during his reign, he yelled and, and the, the Bethelite built Jericho, by the way, which was forbidden, right? The Lord had said not to do that in Joshua. At the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, this was prophesied that, that uh, this would happen. Uh, it says he laid his foundation, and at the cost of Segub, his youngest, 
he set up its gate. Now, at the call, some scholars debate, did uh, he work his sons to death? Many believe, though, that it was child sacrifice. It was even common in that day to sacrifice a child in a, a building structure, gates or building walls or anything like that, and expect as a result of child sacrifice that city, that building, that area would be blessed by God. And so you have this idolatry, this false worship of false gods that's being established, and certainly this widow woman had noticed Elijah was going to confront all of this. That was going to be a big part of his ministry to point out their idolatry, and and these false gods that that would have demanded child sacrifice, And, and by the way, our God always wants what's best for our kids. God wants to provide them. And I don't mean what's best according to the world's standards, but God wants our kids to grow up in a context, as we talked about earlier during our time of dedication, where the Word of God and the love of Jesus Christ is promoted more than anything else. But here there was this false worship that involved sensualism. It was very materialistic. It was even demonic in nature as Baal himself, as a God, little g, would become uh, kind of a, a picture in the Old Testament of Satan and, and demonic work in, in our lives. And then when you get to chapter 7 and verse 1, as a result of all this, uh, uh, chapter 17, verse 1, now Elijah the Tishbite from Gilead, from the Gilead settlers, said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, I stand before him. And there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. And so the fact that the land was experiencing a great famine and a great drought was the result of Israel's idolatry. God was saying to Israel, if you're going to chase after false gods, when you go back before they even entered the promised land, they were told among all the curses and blessings that could come upon Israel is if you go after false gods, you are going to forfeit the blessings from the one true and living God. And Israel had been doing just that. They had turned their back on Yahweh and they were going after those gods that they thought would meet the desires, the needs, even bring blessing and abundance agriculturally. A lot of these false gods were connected with with, uh, uh, agricultural blessings and things like that. And so they had made these idols their source. And so God is going to purge his people from their idolatry, and he's going to do what I believe he will always do. He will reveal to us how empty and how vain these idols are. He will let the source dry up. And so this this widow woman, whether she had been caught up in that or not, we don't know, but we know that when God commanded her to provide for Elijah, she was evidently walking with God close enough to hear his voice and to know that when this minister came, that she was supposed to get him water and do her best to minister to his needs. And so I believe that she had already seen the consequences of idolatry and said, you know what, I'm not chasing after those false gods. I'm going to serve, even if I'm about to die around the corner here, I'm going to serve the true and the living God. I think of Psalm 63 and verse 1 where the psalmist writes, I thirst for you in a dry and 
thirsty land where there is no water, Lord, I hunger and thirst for you. Jesus tells us in the Beatitudes, we're to hunger and thirst after righteousness, for then we will be filled. Didn't the woman at the well discover that? She discovered that she couldn't be satisfied with the things of this world when she met Jesus there at Jacob's well. Jesus asked her for a drink, and, and she said, how can you, being a Jew, ask me a Samaritan for a drink? And he said, well, if you were to ask of me, I would give you living water which would overflow into eternal life. And they begin to have a conversation about relationships and religion. Relationships and religion had always let her down. He says, go and get your husband. And she says, well, I'm not married. He says, well, you're right, you're not married. He says, you've been married five times. And that's never satisfied. They've let you down. And now the man that you're living with is not your husband. And so she had discovered that relationships, and later she talks religion, where the Jews worship here, we Samaritans worship here. But she had still lived an unsatisfied life until that day when she put her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And she said, I met a man who told me everything I'd ever done. And and she went around that region sharing about who Jesus Christ is and the difference that he made in her life. God will bring us to a place where he reveals that anything we idolize, anything that comes between us and God, anything that becomes a more important pursuit Whatever that is in your life, anything that becomes your source of joy, happiness, and contentment before the Lord Jesus Christ will be an idol in your life. You probably do not have an Asherah pole in your yard. Uh, You probably do not have statues of Baal on your mantelpiece, but anything that becomes your source more so than the Lord Jesus Christ becomes an idol. It could be material things and materialism. It's not that owning things makes them idols. It's when those things begin to own you and preoccupy you. Even that cell phone that you hold in your hand can be an idol in your life. Anything that becomes your source of strength and joy and hope The games that you play, the sports you play, the academic achievements that you have can all become idols if you're not careful. There can be a certain look that you're after. We live in the days of of the narcissistic selfies, right? We've all got to look good. We, we We have to have other people liking how we look and telling us they like how we look on Facebook and everywhere else. Charm is deceitful. And beauty is fleeting, as Pastor Ben read a little bit earlier, but you're like, I know that charm is deceitful, beauty is fleeting, but Facebook is forever, and I've got to look good at the beach so I can post the selfies, right? That's, uh, that's the temptation to idolize an image that this world puts out before us. Then we have our American idols, right, where we live our lives vicariously through various celebrities. And uh, that started years ago. When people begin to live their lives vicariously through celebrities. I remember a day and an age when a lot of people, even in my grandmother's generation, they would say, well, you know, you shouldn't drink, smoke, or chew, or any of that kind of stuff. And then they would sit down and they would watch their soap operas all afternoon and begin to live their lives vicariously through the days 
of our lives and as the world turns. And they wondered why their daughters and their granddaughters were caught up in so much drama. And you're like, well, you fed them drama year after year after year, decade after decade. And so we, we live our lives vicariously through so many other people. Good things can be idols. Health is a good thing, but some people almost worship their health. A husband can be a good thing, ladies. I hope your husband's, uh, you know, the Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing, right? But a husband who becomes your number one source of joy and contentment and peace can become an idol. Jesus Christ should be your source first and foremost. For some ladies, it's finding a husband that becomes an idol. And then your children. We can idolize our children and spoil and worship our children rather than bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because we force them to be our source and our place of contentment and happiness. God will allow your husband, your children, your parents, your friends, God will allow those people to let you down. God will allow those people to fail you so that you discover that only he can be your true source. And so when those moments happen, don't don't get all upset with the fact that your husband or your children or somebody else let you down. Now, if they need spiritual discipline in their life, go about the biblical way of confronting that. But understand, your number one source is to be your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He could let everything else let you down. This woman discovered as she looked at what was happening in Israel that God will purge his people from idols. He will show his people the futility of those idols. Secondly, I want you to see another discovery. She discovers that God provides for his purposes. We saw it in verses 8 and 9 just a moment ago, but she had listened to the command of God and she's going to provide for the ministry that God had called her to provide for. God was raising up this prophet Elijah And Elijah himself had also learned that God is guiding wherever he provides. In the previous verses, he's at the brook Cherith where God told him to go, and there there was water at that brook. While everybody else was in a season of drought, he had a season of provision because he was where God called him to be. And then the ravens came and fed him uh, meat and, and grain, so he had what he needed there as he was where God had called him. And when that supply ran out, it was because God was about to call him somewhere else where he was going to provide for him. So Elijah had already discovered that God will provide wherever he guides in that process. And then in the verses we read a moment ago, uh, verses 10 uh, through 16, we see that now she's at the bottom of her barrel and she's got to feed Elijah. And as she feeds from the bottom of the barrel, the barrel never goes empty. The The jar of oil never runs out. As long as she is doing what God has called her to do, as she's ministering to the minister, so to speak, and I'm not saying this uh, so that you will uh, bring the pastor bread and water, but as she's doing the ministry God has called her to do, as she's doing what God has guided her to do, he is providing and her supply never runs out. She probably didn't feel like the Proverbs 31 woman at this point. 
Perhaps he was physically exhausted. Ever been there, ladies? Emotionally spent. Now, we know that women do a much better job of being in touch with their emotions than men, but while we a lot of times bottle them up, women can be so emotionally spent because they've given everything they've got to their family. And so she could have been emotionally empty. Indeed, she thought death was just around the corner. She was a widow lady. Maybe she felt let down by God because that husband wasn't in her life providing at this time. Many times in this age, it was the widows and the orphans that are mentioned that have to do without. James will later say in the New Testament, it's uh, pure and undefiled religion is when we take care of the widows and the orphans. And so one of the greatest uh, issues of social injustice was that they weren't taking care of the widows and the orphans like they ought to. And so she was emotionally spent, physically exhausted, probably flat broke, relationally let down, frustrated, or had every reason to be frustrated with life at this point. But she's in the process here of discovering. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If she had leaned on her own understanding, she would have said, Elijah, man, you're a man of God. I appreciate your ministry, but, but this is going to be our last meal, and I'm not about to pick you over my son. But it wasn't that she trusted Elijah here. She knew that Elijah was speaking the word of the Lord, and her trust was in her source, the Lord God. And, and so in this moment of being emotionally spent, physically exhausted, relationally let down, frustrated, and broke. She's discovering, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, he'll direct your paths. She was perhaps discovering what Paul would later, hundreds of years later, write about in the book of Philippians. Be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God will, that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That chapter goes on to say, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And that was in, for Paul in the context of suffering, all kinds of things. He, he said, I know what it's like to have plenty, but I know what it's like to go through seasons of drought. I know what it's like to go without. And it's in that context that he said, I can get through the droughts of life. I can get through the sufferings that are placed on me because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And he would come down in verse 19 of that same chapter and say, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. I believe she was able to sing as she prepared bread for Elijah. His eye is on the sparrow and I know that he watches over me. If you're all about him, if you're all about Jesus Christ, you're going to keep finding more at the bottom of the barrel. I don't have any more emotion to give. There's more at the bottom of the barrel. Every time you have to go back to that emotional tank, there's more at the bottom of the barrel. Every time you have to go back for a resource, a need, whatever that need is, there's always more at the bottom of the barrel. You may be frustrated that you always seem to be pulling from the bottom of the barrel, but you're relying completely on God because when God is all you have, you know that God is all you need. Then she makes a third discovery. She discovers that God protects his priorities. God protects his priorities. You say, well, now she's learning this and everything's going great, right? I would love to say, I would love to say, ladies, if you do everything God's way, you'll never have to go through heartache and heartbreak in this life. The fact is, it's just not true. 
You can be a woman of God doing what God's called you to do. You can be a man of God doing what God's called you to do, and you will still go through seasons of great heartache and heartbreak. Look down at verse 17 in chapter 17. After this, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. His illness became very severe until no breath remained in him. He said to Elijah, man, she said to Elijah, man of God, what do we have in common? Have you come to remind me of my guilt and to kill my son? She's saying, listen, are, are you here because I've done something wrong and, and, and you're trying to point out that I'm going to suffer these great consequences? Elijah said to her, give me your son. So he took him from her, brought him up to the upper room where he was staying laid him on his own bed, and then he cried out to the Lord and said, My Lord God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow I am staying with by killing her son? Then he stretched himself over the boy three times. He cried out to the Lord and said, My Lord God, please let this boy's life return to him. So the Lord listened to Elijah's voice And the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Then Elijah took the boy, brought him from the upper room into the house, and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, look, your son's alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God, and that the Lord's word in your mouth is the truth. He did this not only to restore the boy's life, because the boy would die again one day. That's one thing about all those other than the Lord Jesus Christ who died and were raised again, they did die again. But this was to remind her that God is taking care of her future. Her son represented her future. Widows were often so neglected that they needed their children to take care of them, somebody to take care of them, or society wouldn't be there. And so she discovered that God protects his priorities. What, what do I mean by protecting his priorities when I read this? I mean, she had prioritize the ministry God had called her to. She was doing what God called her to do, and it was that ministry, Elijah's ministry, that was there in her darkest hour to be a blessing and see her son raised to life. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things things will be added to you. In other words, when you seek first God's kingdom, when you make Jesus Christ number one in your life and you're saying, the ministries God has called me to and those things he's called me to pour my life into, if I do that in my greatest hour of need, it's the kingdom that's going to unleash its resources to take care of me. When we turn from idols, self-centeredness, and we pour our lives into seeking Christ and his kingdom, then the kingdom comes to bat for us. It could be a prophet or a preacher that God uses because you were involved in that ministry and they show up and minister to you in a special way. It could be a church family because you were so invested in that church family when you had a time of need. They were remembering those ways you had blessed them and they show up there in a special way. It could be a a small group, a life group, a group of friends that are Christians that you work with that go to bat for you because you've poured your life into that kingdom ministry. And then there are going to be those times that you're all alone and you're going to say, where's my pastor? Where's my deacon? Where's my church? Where are my friends? There are those moments like Jesus Christ himself. Remember when he was 
experiencing his temptations, there was nobody else there. He was by himself. But then the angels came and ministered to him. Remember when, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, his closest friends were falling asleep. But the angels carried him through that moment. The presence of God carried him through that moment. Listen, there are going to be seasons in your life that you say, I, I just feel alone. I don't feel like anybody gets what I'm going through. I don't know if the prophet understands, the pastor understands, the church understands. I don't know if, if anybody, Jesus is the one who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus will always be there. He will always be enough. I read in Our Daily Bread a devotion about a Native American tribe they had a rite of passage for 13-year-olds. You know, just about every civilization at one time had rites of passage for 13-year-old boys. And so they had this rite of passage moment where they would take a, a boy out into the wilderness, out into the forest, and they would say, you've got to spend the night here alone and show that you're brave enough to handle it. So they would find him an isolated place out in the forest and then that warrior daddy, he would walk away, and the boy had to stay there through the night. And the story goes that as they would stay there, as a, an individual would stay there by himself, he would hear the sounds of wild animals, perhaps uh, even wolves or coyotes or whatever was in that region. He would hear every twig that snapped, everything that moved in the trees. But he had to be brave. He had to prove that he could handle it. And he couldn't wait. He just couldn't wait till the night was over and the sun started coming up the next morning. And as that would happen, he would begin to see the outlines of the trees a little bit better, especially if it had been a cloudy night and he couldn't see that. He'd begin to see the path before him and the way back out. And as he would look in the path ahead, he would begin to see as the sun came up the silhouette of his dad, who really was there all the time, who was really keeping an eye out the entire time. And his dad was standing there with his bow in hand, arrows on his back, ready to defend him, whatever was needed. I believe, ladies, and all of us, we need to discover something. When we prioritize God's call in our life, even in our darkest hour, we'll find he never leaves us nor forsake us. He's right there, ready to defend us, ready to protect us, because he protects his priorities. We, when our priorities are his priorities, he's got our back. He provides for us wherever he guides, and he's there for you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?